Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Mick and Jake. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mick. Welcome back to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. For this episode, I'm joined, as always, by iOS developer Jake Gunderson, as well as Raysware's own Unity expert and contributing author of the brand new Unity Games by Tutorials book, Brian Moakley. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Hey, Mick. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Today is a pretty awesome day. As we're recording this, we've just released the early access of the Unity Games by Tutorials, which is an awesome new book that features, I think, four games now. And in this book, we walk you through the basics of building your own Unity game. So we assume that you have no programming knowledge, even though that we kind of ex- we kind of hope you do have some programming knowledge. But in a way, we've kind of hopefully um, approached to solve this problem a little later I'll talk about. But you come into this book, and it walks you through the basics of creating a Unity game. So the first chapters that I wrote, there are eight chapters in total you write a twin-stick shooter, and it's really fun, and it's about bobbleheads just fighting each other, and when you lose, your head pops off. But it's really good game. And then afterwards, we're right now working on a first-person shooter, and then we also have a 2D game, if you're interested in 2D games, and we have a tower defense game that we're integrating VR into as well. So there's a lot of things that we've been uh, working with the Unity team. And as you know, Mick and I, we work together. We, we've been, I've been working with the Unity team for the last year or so, and we've been working really hard to get content up on the site that will also walk you through the process of learning Unity. Our whole team goal is to approach the topic as we're trying to give you the groundwork to learn Unity as a beginner so that later we can start working on some of the really advanced topics that people are hungry for. Things like VR, things such as shaders, stuff like that. And we hope that the site will feature that. And we hopefully we can do some more advanced books on those topics down the road. But I just want to sort of take, a, take a step back. Um, obviously, we very briefly mentioned the book, which is great. Uh, as Brian said, that's, that's just sort of been announced. Um, and you've, you've just then touched on the Unity team. But... Um, if we take a step back and just talk about really briefly what it is, so what's the overarching topic that, that we want to discuss for these these next 20 minutes? Now, by the sounds of it, it sounds like it's going to be sort of education with with regards to Unity, learning Unity. How do you get started with Unity? Is that sort of where you were going with it? Yeah, ultimately what our goal here is to provide a way for people who have no Unity experience or have very little experience into like bring them on the on-ramp of game development and that's sort of the focus of the team and the book provides one way of doing that our tutorials provide another way of doing that and we have a screencast series that also provides an on-ramp so we're trying to assume that you have no development experience although we would like you to have some development experience we're sort of trying to help you out so that you can start making games because when you think about it, like with Unity, that's the whole thing about Unity. It's not you don't want to get so involved with the the technical aspects as so much as you really just want to dive in and have some fun. If you know what I'm saying. So this is because uh, Unity is very visual. So you know, yeah. you're not you're not having to write like sort of you know two three hundred lines of code before you can build and run and get something that you can actually touch <laughs> and feel. Like approaching Unity is a, sort of a very different approach 
because it's all kind of mouse driven and you're, you're interacting with your game scene as you're building it up and attaching components to things and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I think you can even sort of live play the game in the editor is that right as well yeah it's funny a few years ago we had tech talks on the site and one thing we did was a competition between unity cocos 2d and sprite kit and the idea was which system can make a better game and we showed off all the different ways of creating a game in those in those systems in unity that's the one thing i love about it is you don't have to start off with like you said a ton of code you can simply drag a sprite onto the screen and next thing you know you just write like you can do like some animations such as moving it back and forth and you're off to the races unity is meant to be a very visual tool and that's doing the live debugging makes it it's it's so wonderful to pause your game change a couple values while the game is still in progress and then just hit play again and you get to see how those new values uh, take form it's pretty awesome just with the book then I, I get the book i open it chapter one is it does it introduce me to the unity ui you know does it does it sort of ease me in gently or does it just kind of throw me straight in like like you've just said then right here's some you know uh prefabricated assets drag them in let's add some components let's build and run let's get something tangible and then i'll take you back and i'll I'll tell you what it is you clicked why you clicked that that kind of approach it it actually does a little of both so what it does is it assumes you don't have unity installed in your system it will walk you through the process of installing unity it will then show you like various parts of the interface because the interface can be a little bit overwhelming when you first run unity and then the very first thing, once you import your assets, you start throwing them actually into the scene. So you start building your game world in Chapter 1. In Chapter 2, that's when you start adding a little more functionality to it to make it like you make your character move and things like that. My experience with Unity is I've, I've built some things in Unity, but nothing super, nothing uh, huge. But um, I know you've worked with it a lot more, but I find that when I'm working in Unity, I spend a lot more time in the editor and in the scene setup and a lot less time in code. Is that is that true or is that just because my the stuff I've done so far has been kind of simple? I guess it really depends on what kind of game you're making. So if you're making... Um, typically, like I was working with Ray to port one of his games to from iOS to Unity. And at the beginning of the project, I found out, yeah, you spend a lot of time visually laying out components. But depending then on how you want to generate things, for instance, if I was working on a voxel-based game like Minecraft, I would probably be spending a lot of time in code. Mm, yeah. But w one of the nice things about Unity is that, you know, it's like you make your change and it's, it's just immediate. The editor picks up your changes super quick and you don't have to, like, compile and sit there for a long time and so forth. When the announcement came out on Monday, I looked at the the video, and the artwork is amazing for these games. Um, who's doing like who's doing the art? Where's this art coming from? It feels like this the 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 problem with really good artwork is that is that it makes it, you judge the game by how it looks, right? On first glance, and it seems like the better the artwork is, like it's it makes the it makes the engine seem better, but that's not really the engine, right? It's just the artwork. But the artwork is amazing. Yeah, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying Unity's not a good engine. I like it, but it's just like it makes Unity look like the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> the the artwork was done by Mike Berg. He does the artwork for all our books. And uh yeah, the it it turned out it turned out fantastic. 
And it's it's so funny, like Unity has gotten a bad reputation in the last few years because of asset flippers. People who will take assets right off the web, like they'll just download a model and the model may look like it may look like crap or the model may not integrate into like their other assets they have. And then they just sell it on Steam. And then people are like, oh, my God, Unity is such a terrible engine. Just like, no, it's not, man. (laughs) It's the developers (laughs) who are using it poorly. So, Brian, I just before we move on from the book, uh, the, the other question that I had for you, which isn't technically related to Unity, but it is something new, and I think it's something worth like, at least touching on, is that the, the book isn't complete. That's right, isn't it? This is something that we've sort of any sort of titled, if you like, early uh, early access. I think. Um, so, can you just give us a quick idea what that means? How complete the book is? When you expect to finish it? Yeah, the book the book right now we released it we l- released the first eight chapters of it. But the book is actually still under active development. So when you you basically when you buy the book, you're almost like pre-ordering it, but you also get those first eight chapters. And as we start as we start finishing up the games, we'll start releasing those chapters to the people who have bought the book. So it's kind of like a rolling release. And as people give feedback to us we can actually incorporate that into the writing of the book but we're looking for a final release of october that, that, that's quite vague uh can you be any more yeah. specific or, or have you oh, have you geez. been have you been told not to be any more specific <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure the the date is going to be october 26th okay but i yeah i mean i don't know things could change but i'm pretty sure that's the deadline okay so that's what you're aiming for but no promises day. Yes, yeah, fingers okay. crossed. So, the other thing that you, you briefly mentioned on uh, in your introduction, and, and this is something that I'm sort of really keen to talk about, because we, we've sort of mentioned that Unity is very sort of point and click and visual, and, and you sort of interact with this uh, UI to build up your game rather than coding. But it does actually come with, uh, is it MonoDevelop, which is yes. the open source.net implementation. And as part of that, comes with C Sharp. And... Somebody uh, not a million miles away has actually got a video series running on the site at the minute on just that topic, C-sharp. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's funny. Since since working with the Unity team, I've bumped into a lot of people who are very passionate about game development, but they know nothing about programming. And oftentimes when you get into writing tutorials, the second you hit the code part, you're losing your audience because... They're copying and pasting stuff into the editor, but they don't know exactly what it does. I We needed a way to fix this problem, so I came up with a series about learning C-sharp. Now, the problem about learning C-sharp is that a lot of people who are interested in game development don't necessarily want to learn all, any of the Microsoft stuff that comes with it. For instance, they don't want to learn about you know, creating dills, assemblies, solutions, or any of that stuff. They just want to learn the language to start making games. So with this series, I came up with the approach of writing, learning C-sharp all within the context of Unity. And the idea was to assume that anyone who takes this screencast would have zero programming experience and walk them through basically the language so at the end of the series they'll be competent enough to start taking these tutorials and start ramping up their unity skills this means when they take a tutorial they'll see the c-sharp code and they'll know exactly what it does versus sort of getting lost in the weeds of code i mean one thing that i think is great about this 
Uh, well, there's several things I think great about this. One is that you're assuming like this is this is like absolute no experience in programming, isn't it? So this yeah. is you're covering stuff like variables, types, operators, arrays, conditionals, all the kind of stuff that anybody with even just a remote bit of um, programming experience would understand. You're assuming no knowledge, which is great, and you're doing it all in the context of Unity, which is great because. That's like you say. That's what most people want to learn. You know, they've gone so far with Unity. Now they need to take it to that next step. They have no programming background. They don't care about learning this kind of stuff in a general sense. It's just how how do I how do I do this and how do I apply that within Unity? So I think that's fantastic. But it, what's even more fantastic than all that stuff is that you're actually giving away for free. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. So every single yeah, so absolutely. These, these nine episodes or nine screencasts up on videos.raywenlit.com, which you really have to check out because that's our new video platform and it's great to be, you know, uh, provides a much richer experience for watching these videos. But normally this kind of stuff would only be available to subscribers and we tend to maybe only give away one or two uh, videos to sort of give you a taste and then, or whet your appetite if you like, and then if you, you know, if you want to get into it, then you, you subscribe and you get access to the rest of the series. But Brian, like this, this entire series is is free, which is something we've not done before, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, it, for for us, like from my perspective as a Unity team lead, it's more important that people come to the tutorials educated, and that we provide like the ways how by doing this series we can emphasize what we think is really important in learning the language. So that when they step up to do Unity development, we can assume that they have all those tools. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been totally f- yeah, a totally free series and something I've just been doing right now. Like I do this, I'll record at nights and stuff like that. So it's been a it's been a labor of love, so to speak. So I mean, y'all just like you say. I mean, this, you're doing this as you go. We've got nine episodes up there at the minute, including the, the series introduction. How far are you planning on taking this? Well. I wanted to do not completely comprehensive of C Sharp, but I wanted to give a pretty broad overview. So basically going into object-oriented programming, going into some design patterns, some um, things like generics, some advanced features about the language. And ultimately, by the end of that, they you should have enough knowledge to then step out and pick up a C Sharp book and follow along and, and fill in those gaps that I covered. Things like such as like Link would be way too overkill for this series, but you will by the end of it you'll you'll know where to go and where to read and to find that advanced that advanced information. Superb. So moving on, we, we've talked about the book. We've talked about your current uh, video series. Um, again, you, you briefly briefly mentioned in your intro that we do have now have a unit team. Not you know there might be some people listening that aren't aware of that because obviously uh, at some point last year we decided to 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 sort of create these incubator teams I think we were calling them internally which was you know they only had a, a handful of team members of authors and we were looking at content and we were creating content but that content wasn't being published immediately we were kind of building it up so that when we published it we actually could keep that momentum going and then uh, you were these teams were growing at that the time as well to the point where they are now a fully fledged team they have uh, editors and tech editors and a group of authors and the content is being regularly published Uh, and Brian you touched on the fact that you're the team lead for the Unity team 
Um, so can you give us a bit of an insight on the stuff that you've been able to publish, stuff you've got coming in a pipeline, what that's been like? Uh, are these the guys, is it the same guys that wrote the book, that kind of stuff? Yeah, we started the team last summer and the team is just, it started out, we hit the ground running where we wanted to cover a lot of the broad basics of Unity. So if you go to the Unity category page on raywinderlich.com, you'll see you can almost step through those tutorials one at a time to get a feel for the engine. And once we got finished with that round of tutorials, we half of us sort of split off and are continuing to still write tutorials, and the other half is now contributing to the book. And what's kind of nice about the team is we're, we, we all love games. So whenever we're, we have a Slack channel that we're, we all hang out on and we share like what we've done in Unity, share tutorials that we found that are interesting, but it's just also fun to talk about games that we love, games that we can see if we can possibly emulate in Unity and so forth. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a great experience. The team is pretty awesome. And the content that we have coming down the pipe, where we have a, 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 the, the UFPS plugin, where you have a tutorial in the works about that, how to make your own first-person shooter using that. We have another one about integrating ads into Unity. So we're trying to, once we have all the very, very basics filled in with Unity, such as engine issues, physics, and stuff like that, then we're going to really start getting into the more advanced intermediate uh, intermediate advanced stuff that we're all fired up about with, with its strong visual design component um re, you know relative to the coding component is it easier for beginners do you feel like to get into unity if if somebody wants to make a game without any programming experience than to jump into i don't know sprite kit or something that's mostly programming oriented unity is kind of a, a ramp up it will you you can get in there and you can play around with stuff and it's much easier to get your sprites on screen and start moving them about. But, you know, like, whereas you jump into Sprite Kit, you immediately run into that wall of code. So Unity still has that wall of code. Okay. It's just, just you, you run into line. it a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the same, you still got to learn the code to actually okay. do stuff. And then in terms of, as a tutorial writer of Unity tutorials, um, I... Are there? It seems like there would be just a million screenshots because it's so much of it is is in the editor. Is that true? Are you just constantly oh like God. screenshotting your screen? Like, how do you? Does it mean that the the tutorial is like the same amount of text but like three times as long in terms of oh. page count? Well, what's nice is we started using animated gifs on the site many years ago, so the animated gifs okay. actually can hand can basically do the work of three or four screenshots. But when working on the book, it was like tying my hands. So now, like, I've one chapter I had 70 screenshots. I think it was the chapter was maybe 19 pages, and the, the, the rest of the 11 pages was all screenshots indicating the user interface. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah it can be. And what's, what's tough is if you make a mistake early in the chapter and you don't realize you made a mistake, you have to go back and fix all those screenshots. So good times. <laughs> one one final question I have. So you, you're familiar. I mean, you've you've used Unity a lot, obviously, and, but you've also used you know Sprite Kit and these other tools. When you go to make a game, do you feel like you're you can get where you want to go faster using Unity, being proficient in you know multiple tools, or does it just depend on the kind of game? Yeah, I mean, it, well, it depends on the game. It depends on your distribution platform. So. If I'm making a game for like iOS and stuff like that, specifically for iOS, you run into sort of different issues using Unity than versus 
using something like Sprite Kit, and just in terms of dealing with aspect ratios and things like that, where your graphics can look a little bit bizarro and stuff like that, that gets me like hitting my head against the screen. <laughs> so it can be a little bit different, uh, okay. different kinds of problems. But yeah, I've been doing Unity now for for a few years now, and um, if I jumped over to the Sprite Kit, I, you know, it would be a lot of learning pains. I'd be like, why doesn't it do things like Unity? You know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I am conscious of time, Brian. We've got about a minute left. Um, so I, just to wrap this up. I mean, we've, we have covered a lot of content people can check out if they are keen to learn about Unity or they've already decided, you know, and have played around with Unity and want to learn some more. Um, but is there anything else on the site that perhaps you've done, uh, you know, that would be useful, even if it's not perhaps as up-to-date as, as what it could be? Well, we do have a couple Unity series. We have Unity Basics, uh, Unity 2B, 2D Basics, and Unity 3D Basics. And those are you have to have a subscription to the site to 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 watch those, and those will also cover cover various aspects of the engine. And also, we have a series that I came out with last year on VR. So, if you're interested in doing any VR work with Unity, we do have that Unity series on it. So, there's a few series in there, and of course, keep on checking back the Unity category page because we're going to be having more and more content coming out. Every month. Fantastic. So I'm afraid, like I said, you know, we are out of time now. Um, but that was really interesting, Brian. And I'm hoping that we're going to see a surge of people to the site to learn more about Unity. I'll be taking a look at Google Analytics next week to see, we know when this is out just to see if, we, <laughs> if that's true. I hope we do because obviously you and the guys on the Unity team are working really hard to try and grow that audience. And, you know, one of the best things that we can do that we've proven time and again in the past is to put out video series and to write a book. So hopefully we'll see the same sort of growth of, as we have in all the other teams. Uh, but before we move on to Jake's topic, we are just going to take a short break now and hear about this episode's sponsor. Hired is the platform for the best iOS developer jobs. Candidates registered with Hired receive an average of five offers on the platform, all from a single application. Companies looking to hire include Facebook, Uber and Stripe. With Hired, you get job offers and salary and or equity before you interview, so you don't have to waste your time interviewing for jobs you might not end up wanting. And of course, it's totally free to use. Plus for you, our listeners, you will receive a $2,000 bonus from Hired if you find a job through their platform. Just for signing up using the show's exclusive link, hired.com forward slash Ray. Thanks again to Hired for sponsoring this episode and for their continuing support of the podcast. Okay, Jake, it's 20 minutes on the clock. Over to you. All right, so I'm going to talk about some of the new neural network stuff that's available um, in iOS 10. And just to kind of just to kind of give you a, an overview of what, what a neural network is and kind of what the point is, um, I took a data mining class like 15 years ago. And data mining is like um, regression and classification and clustering. And the, the idea is that you have this huge set of data and you can use um, data mining or machine learning. Um, these these terms are not completely interchangeable, but there's a lot of overlap between them. To solve problems, to teach a computer how to give you predictions. And so, for example, um, 15 years ago, I wrote a uh, regression algorithm to estimate the value of a home. So I fed it a bunch of real estate data, 
and I wanted to do this so I could do some investing. Um, I, this was, uh, I was right out of business school. So I got an MBA and that's where I took this class was in the MBA program. Neural networking was one of the techniques. Now, 15 years ago, um, neural networking was kind of an interesting technique, but it wasn't widely used. It was hard to understand. One of the things that makes neural networking less fun for people who were working with these different tactics is that you kind of, you don't, you aren't fully sure what it's doing. Like you build the neural network and then you train it and I'll get into a little bit more what that means. And then you basically feed it some new data and it gives you a prediction, but it's very hard to understand how it came up with that prediction. And that's compared to regression where regression basically gives you a, uh, a function that says, you know, if, for every bedroom in a house, add $10,000. For every garage stall, add this much. And you can look at the regression algorithm and you can see kind of the weights it's applied to each value or each input and understand what that means. Uh, with a neural network, it's much harder to understand that, to kind of look under the covers. You just kind of give it information and it pops out an answer. And so, but in the last 10 years, some things have changed with neural networking, specifically in the domain of image recognition. So being able to hand a computer a picture and it says, oh, that's a giraffe, that's a car, that's a person, that's a face, whatever. In 2012, they started, there's this uh, competition called ImageNet and it's got thousands and thousands of, of images from the internet. And it's a competition to see, you know, pe different people write different algorithms. Uh, and the idea is to see how accurately your algorithm can detect, you know, what's in a picture. And so they have this competition every year. Well, in 2012, uh, they started some, the, the winner used something called a convolutional neural network. And this convolutional neural network performed so much better than the previous competition winners and entrants that ever since then, they've been using convolutional neural networks to do this, to do this competition. And in 2015, there was, uh, there was a convolutional neural network that outperformed a human being in terms of image recognition. And when that happens, that's like an inflection point, right? If, if a computer can look at a picture and tell you what's in it better than a person can, um, well then we've really, we're really getting somewhere right mm -hmm. in this year. Apple has added some APIs to work with convolutional neural networks. Um, so just to kind of give you an idea of what a neural network is, a neural network is a series of interconnected nodes, usually organized into layers. The first layer for example, could be every pixel in an image. So if you've got a, you know, an a 20 megapixel layer, you've got 20 million input nodes on the first layer. And then the output layer might be the classification of what's in that image. So you, if you have a, a network that is trained to recognize 10,000 different things, you'd have 10,000 different nodes, output nodes, and each node would give you a value that would tell you the probability of it being a car or a dog or whatever. And on the, on the inside of the network, you have, you have what they call hidden layers and there can be lots of hidden layers. There could just be one hidden layer. Um, and each, each node, it depends on the structure of the network, but in many cases, each node is connected to every other node in the network in terms of the layers. So all the nodes in layer one connect to all the nodes in layer two, but look, the w nodes in layer one don't necessarily connect to the nodes in layer three, for example. 
So the internal nodes do things, and this is what makes it hard to understand what it's doing. Those internal nodes have, you know, millions of connections to other nodes internally. And, and it's hard. And each node is basically a calculation that says, take, you know, take the value from node one in the previous layer and apply this weight to it. And then you get a result and then add it to the the this weight combined with node two and this weight combined with node three so each all these different connections are are functions and they're calculated and then they're kind of they're kind of um summarized together and then it moves on to the next layer does that make sense so if you look at the weights internally you're like i've got thousands of these calculations and thousands of weights and i've got you know maybe 15 internal node layers like there's no way to make sense of what that any of that means so that's what makes neural networking kind of like hard to understand how and why it works. Um, but it's based on how the human brain works. It's supposed to be a model of how our brains work because it's an interconnected set of neurons. And they, in fact, they even use, they use neurons and perceptrons to describe a neural network the same way they would th th how the human brain works. The convolutional neural network, what it adds is convolution. And a convolution is like an edge detection kernel is a convolution or, you know, a, a corner detection. And so with the convolutional neural network, suddenly the, 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 the accuracy of these networks just jumped. Um, and kind of the explanation is that now as information kind of moves through the network, um, it's saying, okay, I detect something that looks like an eye shape or a nose shape or a this or a that. And, and, so by the time it gets to the end of the network, it can detect all these different things. And how that works is through a process called training. And so basically you create the structure of the network. So the, the designer of the network, and it's, it's apparently quite an art and a science to figure out how to do this structuring. But the person that designs the neural network will decide how many layers it has, how many individual different convolutional filters it should have. So the person kind of has to have some domain knowledge and some experience to decide, okay, how do I design the structure of this neural network? But once it's designed, then it has to be uh, trained. And so the training process is that you give it a bunch of pictures that you already know what they are. And you say, here's a picture of a dog. Here's a picture of a cat. Here's a picture of this. And like thousands or millions of examples of each of these things. And you feed that through the network. And then through something called back propagation, you say, the answer I should get here is dog, but the answer I'm getting right now is, you know, car. And so I need to adjust the weights starting with the end node and propagating backwards through the, through the network to the front. I need to adjust all these weights of all these calculations so that I'm more likely to get dog. So you do this over and over again. And with large networks, uh, this can take weeks uh, to do this, to do this training process. But when it's all done, then you give it a brand new image and you say, what is this? And it's, you know, it's a picture of a dog. And you're like, oh, it's a picture of a dog. That's right. So the neural network learns through this training process how to identify different objects. What we have, once you have a trained network, the, the training, all those weights, that's called the model. And so once you have that model, you can then you know, apply that model and get results based on new images. And that that part of the process is what's available now in the new iOS 10. So we have two different frameworks that, that implement this. We have, there's some, some new methods in the accelerate framework that do this. And there's also some new frameworks in, uh, the metal framework that do this. 
the metal performance shaders specifically. So the, the immediate question you're going to ask is which one's better. And it, the answer is it depends. And I don't know all what it depends on, but we've got it in two places. The implementations are different. The APIs are different. And it's two different teams implementing it. The, the obvious difference is that metal is going to be using the GPU and accelerate is going to be using like vector SIMD operations on the chip. And so you're just going to have, like, you kind of need to know a little bit about what you're doing to decide which one of those you want to use. Um, but in terms of what they do, they are very similar. Um, uh, one is not necessarily way more powerful or way more, you know, applicable to different than the other. They're pretty much, they, they accomplish the same task. It's just which, do you want to do it on the GPU or do you want to do it on CPU? And then, and then in your particular application, what works better? Just before we move on, like something's just dropped into my head and and I wonder if this would sort of help understand the the training aspect. I know it's no longer around iPhoto. It's been replaced by photos. But I remember ages ago with iPhoto, um, it did facial recognition, but it didn't do person recognition. But what you used to be able to do is you used to be able to set up groups of faces and you would you would initially start off and say, okay, this person is called you know, Mick, and this person's called Jake. And then each time you imported photos, it would give you a list of things where it thought that person appeared. And you would say, yes, Jake is in this picture, or no, Jake isn't in this picture. And then over time, it got smarter with how it recognised who was in what photos when you were importing it. Is that what we were doing, just without knowing, like we were essentially training a neural network to recognise those people? I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but there's other ways, there's other algorithms that do facial detection. And there's a difference between detecting that there is a face. So saying you've got an image and you're saying, is there a face in this image or not? That's one thing. And then there, it's another thing to say, does this face match this face, right? Those are two different things. Yeah. And there's algorithms to do both of those. And they're not necessarily implemented using a neural network. I mean, there are other kinds of machine learning where the mach- where it can get better, but it doesn't ha- necessarily have to use a neural network. Neural networks are not the only, only kinds of machine learning that get trained. Okay. So I don't know for sure what Photos was using because of the like recent advancements of neural networks, I'm guessing it wasn't using a neural network because they've only kind of gotten good enough to be broadly useful recently, but it's possible. But, but internally with, I don't, I don't have like a really like a lock on face recognition, but there's something called the how feature detector and it goes through and it set and it, you give it a bunch of different features. And if it, those features are present, then there's a face there. That's about as deep as my understanding of face recognition goes. <laughs> but um, but in the case of that, with, with feature detectors, you already know what the features are in that kind of a face recognition thing. In the case of a neural network, you're saying, I don't know anything, right? You're saying, I don't know. I, I, like, I'm not giving you any kind of heuristics, computer, to figure this out. All I'm saying is, like, I've given you a structure of nodes, but other than that, Here's a photo. Here's what it's supposed to be, right? Here's another photo. Here's what it's supposed to be. And it's up to the internal structure of the the node network to kind of formulate itself around whatever heuristics it can, okay? The reason I want to talk about this today is because that is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That, that like, the computer... And and when it's done training, again, we're not really sure how it figured things out, right? We just know that it did. 
we know we know at the very like smallest neuronal level what it's doing. Like we can go in and we say, here's the weight right here. But there's like millions of those. And so how do you put those all together and turn it into something that you can explain to a person? Say, well, the reason it found a face here is because it can detect the shadow and the, the an eye has this shape where there's light and dark regions here and there, right? That would be like an explanation. But it's like, is that the way it's figured out? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's so complex that it's hard to to like come up with kind of simple explanations of what it's done. It's just like this, you know, these millions of calculations and there probably is an explanation, but it's just so vast that it's, it's hard to kind of tease it out. Right. So Jake on a, on a practical level, is this something that you would ship a model with an application? Yes. And then, okay. And yeah, would that so, model be very like heavy in terms of uh, size? You know that, so I don't know. That's a good question. The size, I'm not sure. I'm guessing the more data there is, the bigger the model. Um, but I'm not sure if it's huge. I don't think it's that big, but I don't know. I haven't. That's a good question. I, sh- I should look into that. It's interesting on a game development front, on a game development front, because you have like recently No Man's Sky, which is all about procedurally generated worlds. In those worlds, the randomness can sometimes ruin the experience. But if you have something like a model to apply that or this neural networks to sort of massage the landscape into what you expect it may be, this could be really powerful, like on a random encounter front, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. So, and that's what makes it, that exactly, that sentiment exactly is what makes it so exciting. So we have, they've worked on these convolutional neural networks and they have found that they're great for detecting images but they've also used them for some of the Go stuff that's happened recently where the, the a Go AI can beat a human. Some, some of those are using convolutional neural networks. Um, it's also good for um, processing language so it can figure out the structure of language and it can figure like syntax and stuff. And then it's also used... Anyway, there's like a handful of applications that they have already found success with these convolutional neural networks, but they're new enough that what next is unclear, right? That they use them for drugs to like figure out drug interactions with genes or something like that. I don't know anything about that, but I read that on Wikipedia. Um, so there's all these different disparate applications for this, for this convolutional neural network in terms of what we can use as iOS developers, probably what we'll be doing right now is, is some kind of image recognition. So, um, you know, we've already, Apple has built in this image recognition into photos, but let's say one of the examples used at the WWDC was a smile detector. So the, the person on stage presumably trained a model with a bunch of faces, some of which were smiling and some of which weren't trained a model. And to, in order to train a model, you do that offline. That's not something that happens on the device because of the massive amount of computing power required. That's something you do in, in the cloud or on a really powerful desktop machine, depending on the size of the, of the data set. Um, and then like you say, uh, like you mentioned, um, you just ship that the, the result of all those calculations get shipped with the app. And then what you can do on the app is basically process a new piece of data using the model and get a result. And so, you know, any kind of, any kind of image recognition thing you can think of, um, is, ob- is, a, is a really good candidate for what we have in terms of our, API what we've got but that's not all we can do but exactly what we can and can't do is unclear and is still kind of in this research phase in universities where they're like okay can we use a convolutional neural network to do beat detection for music or can we use it for like you just said can we use it to do procedurally generated worlds 
Um, and that's kind of right at the edge of like, maybe we're going to have to, we're going to have to play with it and figure it out. So it's very, very interesting. And there's a lot of hype around it. And so a lot of people like me are really excited and think, oh, this changes everything. And maybe it will, and maybe it won't. Maybe it's, (laughs) you know, the virtual reality of 15 years ago where it just kind of hits a wall and it's just not quite good enough. And and it's great for image detection, but we haven't really figured out how to apply it to, um, but there's a lot of really cool, um, work being done on it right now and um i don't know for me it gets me going because you know obviously has the potential you know the self-driving cars and all this stuff like you know what are the limits of what these algorithms can do given enough data and enough you know kind of massaging and you know how much like one application that is being worked on that we kind of haven't seen much of yet in terms of the consumer space is being able to run through a video and tag everything in the video, right? I mean, if you can tag an image, you can tag a video. And so we can now go through a potentially video and say, you know, show me in a video where, you know, the guy falls down and hits his head and the, the algorithm could just find the spot in the video where that happens. Like stuff like that. Uh, really cool. So, so I th- we're just about out of time, Jake, but I mean, you obviously sound very passionate about this. Um, it definitely seems like it's a huge topic, way bigger than what we've managed to cram into the last 20 minutes. And obviously, um, it, there is now functionality on iOS via the SDK to allow us iOS developers to implement some of this functionality within our apps. Like you say, maybe at the minute, the, the most common application is going to be image recognition, but who knows what's around the corner. So I think um, it's going to be worth revisiting this at some point in the future. Maybe not this season, but maybe some point next season when you've had a bit more time with the API so we can maybe talk about it at a little lower level. And then also we might be seeing some more applications some that are sort of contextually apt to us. Like Brian said, you know, game development, that would be great. We've all talked offline. We're not so much touched about it on the podcast but we've all talked offline about autonomous cars and that kind of stuff you know maybe neural network does have some application in there you you just uh, brought it up so i definitely want to revisit this at some point in the in the future i think that'd be really good but as i said we are out of time now guys i'm gonna have to wrap wrap this episode up uh, thanks again for joining us brian Oh, sure thing. It was great great having me. Thanks, guys. Now, guys, if you do have any feedback or comments on the podcast, then please do get in contact via podcast at raywenley.com. And don't forget to leave your reviews on iTunes because, you know, they do really help and keep us motivated to keep putting out these episodes. Uh, We do hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you all next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the raywenley.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.